This is Christy from Life Struggles. I am your host, and my sometimes co-host is Melinda. However, Melinda has been out for a while, so I'm going at this alone with a guest speaker until she can return. Just a little bit about our podcast. We started out that we wanted to help women look and feel better. And the more we started talking to people that were wanting to feel better, the more struggles we saw with addictions and weight problems and depression and abuse and narcissistic behaviors and so we decided that it wasn't just women that were experiencing these life struggles but it was also men and so we are proud to say that now all of our podcasts are with men and women who have life struggles I hope that you will enjoy our content. You can help our podcast by giving it a rating, by following us on Spotify and Apple Podcast and Google Podcast and iHeartRadio and CastBox and whatever other platform you might use. Without further ado, here is my next guest. Good morning. Hi, this is Christy with Life and uh, Struggles. And today I have a special guest and I'm super excited. We've been waiting for this. Um, His name is Sam Anthony. And he is um, also TEDx speaker. He is a five-star author, a personal trainer, overdose survivor, and a recovery advocate. So please welcome Sam Anthony. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Christy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Long time. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and let you dive in. I'd like you to go ahead and give us a little bit of background on your story. Sure. So uh, I'm a, a professional speaker and an author. Um, the reason I started um, speaking is because I've had a long journey uh, with struggles with addiction, depression, mental illness, suicidal behavior. And uh, I realized it was time for me to step up and start to share my message and offer some hope and inspiration um, so people can hopefully learn from my mistakes and uh, not have to make their own. And ultimately, whenever I travel anywhere, um, that is the goal is for somebody to learn something from my experience. They say that a smart person learns from their own experiences, but a wise person learns from the experiences of others. So I'm really just hoping in my journey here that somebody can learn from something that I've been through at the end of the day. I really like that. Okay, so so can you tell me when it all started? 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, it started uh, when I was 12 years old. Um, you know, I took my first drink when I was 12. And when people hear that, there's a lot of assumptions. They probably think I came from a broken home, um, that I was neglected, abused as a child. Uh, addiction probably runs in my family. And the truth is, none of that applies to me. You know, I was raised in a good home. There was no mm -hmm. neglect, no abuse, no addiction to my family. Um, but what was going on is I was full of anxiety. But back then, I didn't really know how to identify it as anxiety. I just knew that I had this pit in my stomach. I was nervous to leave the house. I was afraid to go to school. I was afraid to talk to girls. I was afraid to talk to anybody, really, because I had no social skills. Um, they didn't teach that thing in the classroom. It wasn't being taught to me at home. And I realized really quick that when I take a drink, all those feelings went away. You know, when I took the drink, all the things, there was no more anxiety, no more depression. And at the end of the day, I didn't really care what anybody thought about me. And alcohol worked for a little while until I realized that even after I started drinking, I was still comparing my insides to other people's outsides. You know, I was how did you get that first part, that, that first drink of alcohol? Because you were young, correct? Where did I get it from? Is the yeah. question. Uh, so I actually got it from my parents' liquor cabinet, which is where most people do. Um, and it's not like my parents were drinkers at the time. We actually, mm -hmm. I mean, this is back in the early 90s. Um, mm -hmm. We moved from one neighborhood to another. And when they bought that house, the old... Um, uh, residents that live there just didn't clean out the mini bar in the basement and there was some liquors down there and uh, I was in the basement one day and I saw it there and I figured you know what I've seen other people drink on tv and at parties and stuff and it seems to relax them and I figured maybe it would give me a feeling of uh, ease and comfort or a sense of relief and sure enough it did for a little bit so if I remember right from reading your book did you actually like refill the bottles like to you know, like with water or something, was that it? That no, you, no, no, not, not back then. I didn't do anything no. like that. No. Okay. I, was too, I was too young to think like that. I didn't think well, that's what I was my parents. So they wouldn't have missed it anyway. There would have been nothing to replace. Okay. So it wasn't a large amount that they would have noticed. No, not, you don't need a large amount when you're 12. The true, I would hope. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go ahead. And, um, you know, like I said, even after I was drinking, I was still comparing my insides to other people's outsides. I would see kids, you know, coming to school with a new backpack or new clothes or a cool haircut. And I started thinking to myself, well, if I can just get some things like that, you know, if I can get, you know, a new outfit or if I had some new sneakers um, that I'd start to feel better. And eventually I did start to get some of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is nothing changed because by changing something about your appearance, it doesn't really fix a brokenness that you have inside. But I didn't right. learn that until very later on. Um, moving on, going into high school, I started off with what a lot of people refer to as gateway drugs or recreational drugs. Um, I always say that the gateway drug is the first one that you try. For some people, mm -hmm. it's weed. For somebody else, right. it's a prescription pill. If right. the first time that you ever get high is on a line of cocaine, well, cocaine's your gateway drug. Um, but more importantly, I always say it's the behavior that's gateway, not the substance. You know, whether your first drink or drug is a pill or it's pot or it's booze or you're vaping, it's not what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. You know, it's the behavior behind the intention of the action. So for me, what was going on with me as a 12 year old that I found it necessary to take a drink? You know, what's going on with kids in high school nowadays that they can't go from one class to the other without vaping in the bathroom? What's going on with us as a society that we can't go to a happy hour and not be comfortable in a room full of our peers that we see 40 hours a week at work and not be comfortable until we have a drink in our hand? You know, well, so I don't obviously you have um, studied into this and, you know, since you wrote the book and everything, and you've probably done a lot of research, how does a 12 year old even know, like what's going on in my head for sure? 
and how to fix that if they're not going to go to their parents. I mean, at that age, I didn't know. And that's the problem. I didn't know what to, I didn't know there was a problem. Um, I didn't know who to approach about it. And again, this is way before the internet and before podcasts and before they were having events in schools like mental health awareness week. Um, so, you know, back then I was just lost now today, I think our youth has a little bit more guidance, you know, schools have like mental health alliance clubs where students get together and put on, um, presentations and bring in speakers and stuff like that to talk about things like how to manage anxiety and your depression and stuff like that. There was nothing like that when I was a kid, you know? Um, so for me, I was just a lost 12 year old with no guidance, no direction. I was afraid to turn to my parents, um, you know, my friends, we didn't really talk about, it wasn't cool to talk about that stuff. You know, back then guys didn't talk about their feelings. So, you know, I was just a lost little boy. So here's, here's the question I have for you, because this is questions that people sent in to me. Um, mm -hmm. what, one of them was, so as parents, what should we be looking out for? Because that's our job too. And I think a lot of parents just think, well, you know, they're coming home every day. They're doing their, you know, homework. They're, they're not acting out at home. Everything's okay. Mm -hmm. So is there any red flags that parents should be looking for? Well, I say there's two types of parents. Um, the first parent thinks that their kid is amazing, which you should. Um, and they also think that it's never going to be their kid. You know, my kid's not going to be the one that gets bullied. There's no way my kid's struggling with depression. There's no way that my kid's going to experiment with drugs and alcohol. The other parent just has no idea. And unfortunately, back then, I think that my parents actually fit equally into both categories because my parents never thought for one second that sweet, innocent little Sammy was going to go into a liquor cabinet and take a drink when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. But after I did, they had no idea. You know, they didn't really see any red flags at the time. Um, but even if they did know, they still probably had no idea how to handle it. Because you're right. There's nothing in a parenting handbook that says if you catch your kid drinking at 13 years old, these are the steps that you should right. take. Um, I mean, so to answer your question, what would some of the red flags be? I'd say one of the biggest ones that I'd see would be a disinterest or loss in interest in things um, that used to get really excited about. So if you've got somebody that, you know, is really excited about getting straight A's and all of a sudden they seem to be getting D's and F's and they're not really putting forth the effort they did before. Well, what changed? You know, if you see somebody that used to be really into going to gymnastics or playing on the softball team, or they used to, you know, try out for every single sport and all of a sudden they're just not into athletics anymore. Well, what changed? You know, there, there's a reason for that, that pivot and that shift in their behavior and their actions. So, um, you know, that would definitely be one of the red flags. Sure. The isolation one of the that. things that I was thinking of was, you know, um, if your child comes home from school and they kind of just walk through, say hi, go straight up their room, stay in their room, they're more isolated themselves mm -hmm. and then come down to eat, but go right back, right back in their room. Yeah. The isolated behavior is absolutely huge too. And then- yeah there's kind of the gray line, like, well, is that normal teenage behavior or are they hiding something? And right. honestly, the only way to know is to have an open line of communication and conversation and let them know that, you know, this is a safe space. If you come to me and you talk to me and you tell me the truth, you're never going to get in trouble. And I mean, I have little boys, my son's almost five years old. We have that conversation with him now, obviously whatever he's doing isn't going to be as bad as taking a drink or a pill. Yeah. But if it's something is like, you know, he broke something or he hit his brother or, you know, he took a cookie out of the cookie jar when he wasn't supposed to, I tell him, Micah, if you come and tell me the truth, you're not going to get in trouble. You know, mm -hmm. I might not be happy about it, but you're not going to get in trouble. I always want to know the truth. And a lot 
I can tell you from personal experience, doing what I do for a living, traveling, speaking in schools and having kids come up to me afterwards, a lot of them are not feeling that safe space at home. Right. And I think that's really important. So um, absolutely agree with you. Um, sometimes you've got a personality, though, that no matter what you say or how safe you try to make them feel, they're just not going to speak out. And, you know, some of that can be just their personality. And some of it can be that, you know, we as parents, don't, I mean, we're not perfect. They don't come with a handbook. And so we yeah. do what we can do. And maybe we don't have the personality that they feel like they can come and talk to. So there's got to be some other avenue to take. I always say your kids don't have to talk to you, but they have to talk to somebody. Somebody. And counseling to me is a lot like dating. And what I mean by that, if anybody here is listening and you've ever been on a bad date before that just didn't work out, you didn't stop dating after that altogether. You continued to date until you found somebody that you were compatible with and that you really got along with. Well, counseling is the same way. I meet a lot of people that I'm like, hey, man, have you ever talked to a therapist or a counselor? They're like, yeah, I tried. It didn't work. I'm like, OK, well, you know what happened? Tell me about it. I met with this lady one time and I just didn't like her. I'm like, all right, well, you can't. It doesn't work. What if I never dated after I had a bad date? I never would have met my wife. Right. Well, I'm right. married over 10 years now. Um, yeah, I've had good counselors. Thank you. I've had good counselors. I've had bad counselors. Um, and, and it's important that a parent understands that <clears throat> they don't have to be all things to their kid. Their main job is to be a parent. You don't necessarily have to be a parent and a counselor. You know, my wife is a wonderful woman. She's not supposed to be my therapist. I want her to be my best friend. I have a therapist that I talk to to be my therapist. I don't want or need my wife to be my therapist. And sometimes in relationships, people get caught up thinking that they have to be all things to all people. And that's just not true. Now, see, in my schooling, I was, I was taught that as a parent, um, we are not to be our kids' best friend, not, mm. not our wives or, or our husbands, but our kids' best friend. Yes, our first that's job correct. Yeah, I've heard that before too. You know, I mean, I've definitely seen that, that relationship cross the line where kids are going home and smoking with their parents. So. Right, right. <clears throat> you know, I got something stupid. Like I, like, I can't stand hearing kids call their parents dudes. Like, <laughs> to me, that's disrespectful. Like yeah. that, call your friends dudes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And maybe I'm a little bit too strict, but I just tell them that's not going to happen and it's okay. So I guess they know I'm serious. But do, yeah. do you have your kids? Do you find them doing that or they? My kids are still, no, my kids call me daddy and mommy and that's it. They don't call us anything else. Great. Okay. So <laughs> if you can continue on, then go ahead with your story. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, that gateway behavior that I referred to pretty much mm -hmm. continued all throughout high school <clears throat> and I didn't even end up graduating in time. And, um, after high school, uh, I like to say that my life was full of not yet's and everybody who's listening right now, your life is completely full of not yet's and it's up to you whether they're going to be positive or negative. And a not yet looks like this. When I was 12 years old, I saw my dad smoking cigarettes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Learned behavior happens in your household, whether it's Absolutely. positive or negative learned behavior, it happens in the household. Growing up, I saw my dad smoking cigarettes. My dad looked cool smoking cigarettes. So sure. guess what? I wanted to be cool too, but I told myself I'm never going to smoke cigarettes. Now my son doesn't see me smoking cigarettes. He sees me going to the garage to work out. Guess what he wants to do? He wants to, to come garage. to the garage to work out. So I'm exhibiting a positive learned behavior example for him versus the negative learned behavior that I had growing up. Don't not taking anything away from my dad. He was a good man, but sure. Yeah. People smoke we, cigarettes. They do grow it and guess what? We see that. Right. Uh, you know, when I started smoking cigarettes, I saw what I thought were the popular kids in high school smoking weed. Well, I told myself I'm never going to smoke weed. 
not yet. When I started smoking weed, I said, this guy's never going to do hard drugs. I'm sure everybody kind of sees where I'm going with this now. Mm -hmm. After high school, doing cocaine was a not yet for me. Um, and I thought all my problems had to do with where I grew up. You know, I grew up in a you know, pretty urban area in New Jersey. And I thought it was the town that I grew up in, the people I was hanging out with. So I tried to run away from myself and do what they refer to as a geographical cure. And I left New Jersey and I moved to Virginia. And uh, when I got down to Virginia, nothing changed because my problem had nothing to do with who I was with or where I was, but with me. And everywhere I went, there I was running away, changing zip codes, um, you know, buying some new clothes, trying to develop a new personality or identity. It did not work. My problem had to do with Sam. And until I realized that it was very difficult for me to make a shift and change the way that I was living my life. And I can see where as a child and then a teenager that you're, you're not going to see those things in yourself. Mm. So that, that's why I really wanted to stress that point. And not that it's parents' fault, but the red flags to look for anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of red flags, but here's one problem. And I always say it's good to get a fresh set of eyes on things. Um, my Aunt Rita, my father's sister, mm -hmm. she always knew when something was wrong with me because she only saw me a couple times a year. My dad was too close to the problem. As things got progressively worse, as I lost a little bit of weight, as the color started to fade from my face, as my eyes started to get dark and sunken in um, from doing all the drugs and alcohol that I was doing, it happened slowly over the course of time. It's not like I woke up one day and I looked like a junkie. It just doesn't work that way. And my yeah, and so it's like, okay, well, they see you every day, so they don't really notice yeah, changes. But, but somebody that doesn't see you very often will notice that right away. Yeah, on Thanksgiving... On Easter, twice a year, when I would go see my extended family, the first thing that my aunt would say to my father is, what's wrong with Sam? Look at him. There you go. The last time she saw me, I look healthy. So it's always good to get a fresh set of eyes on the problem because sometimes you're too close to the problem to actually be able to see the problem. It's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. So you were in Jersey. And uh, so I'm actually in Virginia now. I moved to Virginia. Virginia and um, at that point in my life, I'm probably 23, 24 years old now. And uh, my alcoholism and addiction just got the absolute best of me. And um, I was going nowhere fast. And in January of 2013, I almost lost my life to a drug overdose. Um, but the thing is, my wife didn't find me with a needle in my arm. It was actually prescription pills that almost ended my life. Um, my wife came home, found me slumped over in a chair, barely breathing because I took too many Percocet and drank too much alcohol on top of it. I woke up in the ICU, choking on a tube in my throat, handcuffed to a gurney, absolutely no idea how I got there. And it was the first time that I woke up in a very long time that the first thought on my mind was not taking a drink or a drug. And for that, I was grateful because I knew that God saved my life for a reason. And I knew it wasn't to go back to living the life that I was living. And that's actually when I started to make some serious changes in my life. I became a personal trainer. We started going to church. I started meeting with doing counseling and treatment and going to 12 step meetings and all this stuff. And my life got really, really good. Um, but I like to say my life got so good that I forgot how bad things are. Um, there's mm -hmm. a, there's a saying in one of the 12 step programs that you're not, it's in the uh, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, you're not going to remember the pain and suffering of weeks and months ago. And as I got further away from that overdose, I forgot what it was like to wake up in the ICU choking on the tube. Okay. And eventually when things got so good, taking a drink or taking a pill sounded like a good idea to me. And eventually that's what I did. And I ended up relapsing. Now that was that during the pandemic? That was two, now we're in 2015. 
Okay. That was okay. 2015. Okay. I ended up relapsing. Uh, unfortunately, my addiction once again got out of control and it took me a place I never wanted to go. And I ended on personal training at the time. I ended up stealing some pills from a client of mine and uh, I ended up getting arrested for breaking and entering because I went into her house uninvited to go steal those pills. And that's when I decided to write my first book. Um, and the only reason I started writing the book is because I thought I was going to jail for a very long time. And writing a book seemed like a constructive way to, you know, stay busy while I'm in jail. Now, that's not this one. This, that that is not one. this one. That is my original memoir titled Hands Like You're Praying. I'm, okay. not, I'm not even sure if it's still available anymore because okay. I got away from that publisher. Um, but basically, I took a lot of the meat and potatoes from that memoir and put it into Just Don't Die. Um, but with more actionable takeaways for the reader. My original memoir was literally just that, just my story. That mm -hmm. actually has some takeaways that uh, and mental fitness tips that the reader can use um, okay. that hopefully make some changes in their life. Well, I'll see if I can find it. Um, so, so can we talk a little bit about your book? Just Absolutely. So um, first of all, your wife is a co-writer? She or? is, yeah. She co-wrote okay. the book with me. Okay. Um, we didn't talk much about her. I, I did get to continue, to continue the book, the whole book. And I, I just noticed where there was different little paces, places that you met her, but nothing ever really developed of it. So she was, I'm, if I remember right, she was a bartender in a couple of bars that you went to. Well, I was the bartender and she actually worked there as a hostess. So we actually but worked, you worked in the same place. Yeah. So we met because we were working together. But you didn't hang out together. No, not then. That's just how we met. We didn't have That's a relationship right. back then other than just I worked there and she worked there. We actually didn't um, connect until a few years later when she was living in Illinois and I was in Virginia and we actually started dating long distance. So how did you happen to do that? Social media. I mean, like you just found her? I just, and... I just saw her on social media. I just saw her on online one day and I reached out and I said hello. And we started talking and striking up a conversation. And one conversation led into two, led into a couple months, led into, hey, let's fly out and hang out. And eventually she ended up moving back to Virginia and we moved in together. That seemed <clears> like it was meant to be. It was, yes. <laughs> okay. I knew if I was going to stay sober, he needed to put a good woman in my life. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so then she was in your life, and, but you guys were not married yet when she actually found you. We were. We were. It was our first year of marriage. We got well, okay. second year of marriage. We got married in 2011, and uh, I overdosed in 2013. So we were two years into our marriage, and she had just graduated from nursing school when she found me. So when you when you guys first got married, were you still? active in doing drugs or did she know about any of that or so I had started dabbling and dipping my toe into recovery back in 2004 but I was never consistent with it okay. and I never fully understood what it meant to be a real alcoholic or a real drug addict and be in long-term recovery <clears throat> and like a lot of people <clears throat> excuse me mm -hmm. she didn't understand what it meant either and she didn't know that it was a one day at a time thing. She didn't know it was an all or nothing thing. Um, for me, I can't pick up one drink. I can't go out and just have a beer or a glass of wine socially. And um, so when, I, when we first met, I was in recovery, but then I kind of started to get away from it. And I experimented with that. Well, you know, maybe I could just have one or two. And then things spiraled out of control. Um, she never really knew the extent of it because I hit it very well. I love that. One is too many, a thousand is not enough. Mm -hmm. And that I think that goes with drugs and alcohol. 
I mean, for somebody, I could go for Oreos. Oreos, right. <laughs> Mine with chocolate chip cookies. Yeah, you, can go, yep, you can go with anything. Okay. Um, so did she drink? No, she's not. She's been what I refer to as a normal drinker. Over the course of a year, she might drink three or four times and like throughout the entire year. <clears throat> and when she does drink, she has one drink and she usually leaves a good portion of it. She, does, she doesn't drink. I drink to get drunk. She'll order a drink just for the sake of ordering a drink because, you know, maybe she likes to taste sure. it. I never drank for the taste of it. Right. So you don't drink at all right now, right? Nope. I don't. I do not drink at all. I cannot and, have. But it's okay if she drinks in front of you. That doesn't like. Yeah, that, it doesn't, she, she typically doesn't. But if she does, it does not bother me at all because that's not the way that I drink. Okay, so what about if you guys went out to a bar with a bunch of friends? Could you we don't stay do away that. from it? We don't do okay. that. I don't, I don't go to bars and hang out. We don't do but that. Do it you does, do that on purpose? It doesn't interest us. We don't go to bars and hang out. So, but do you do that on purpose? Yes, because it doesn't interest us. Not because I'm an alcoholic. We're okay. Just, it's not our lifestyle. Okay. We don't enjoy it. Okay. Well, a lot of times people that have the um, addiction will, they'll say, you know, you need to break away those kind of friends or that kind of place you hang out and doesn't yeah, necessarily mean these programs different for some people, right. for some people, they need to, they need to remove themselves from all people, places and things. Other people can get sober and, um, you know, go hang out at those places. Like for me, I don't go to a bar where people are getting drunk just for the sake of getting drunk. That doesn't do anything for me. Um, okay. You know, if I go someplace like a wedding where I know there's going to be an open bar, people are drinking stuff like that, that doesn't bother me at all. But I also always have my plan in place. I'm going to have somebody with me, whether it's a friend or my wife or a family member, uh, I'm going to drive. I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I can't leave an uncomfortable situation. Um, so I, I have fail safes in place to make sure that I never get stuck and put myself in a dangerous place. Sure. Okay. So let's go to the name of the book, Just Don't Die. Where'd mm -hmm. that come from? So Just Don't Die has two meanings. Mm -hmm. So when I had my overdose in 2013, I had one foot in the grave. And I remember just telling myself, even when I was drinking and using like, okay, man, just don't die. Just make it through the night, you know, because if you just don't die, we can manage and get you help for the anxiety and the depression or the overeating or the pornography or the self-harm or the addiction. We can get you help for all those things. Just don't die because you can't fix that. It's the one thing you can't fix. With that being said, I've also been a chronic relapser my whole life. And every time I relapse, I died a small spiritual death. And I just lost hope. I lost sight of what was really important for me. And I thought that there was, this was it. Um, so it has two meanings, you know, just don't die literally, but don't die that spiritual death. Don't give up. So you were raised Catholic. You're no longer practicing the Catholic religion, correct? I'm a Christian. We go to an non-Christian church. Right. A non-denominational. So you're not, you're not practicing the Catholic religion. No. Um, so when you go to speaking places, do you bring up your spiritual journey? Depends on where I'm speaking. Can't, we can't talk about God in public can't. school. <clears throat> right. Some places. So some places you can't, right? Yeah. So yeah. if I'm speaking in a public school, I can't talk about religion, obviously. But, I thought. Um, but if I, I spoke at a conference in California that was hosted by a uh, Christian nonprofit, then I can tell parts sure. of my story that I can't tell in a public school. Sure. That's really too bad, but at least you have some of that in the book. So exactly. 
So yeah. and when I speak from the stage, people can tell what I'm about just by the way I carry myself, what I'm saying and the way I'm saying it. Um, I also have tattoos on my arms. And if they're looking hard enough, they might see a cross in the tattoo. And yeah, tell me about those tattoos. Somebody asks me about my faith from the audience in a public school, I can tell them I just can't initiate the conversation. So if somebody in the audience raises a hand and says, hey, does spirituality or religion help with your recovery? Then I can respond and say, yes, I'm a Christian. God plays a huge part in my recovery. I can't lead with that, though. Okay, so can you tell me about your tattoos? Uh, yeah, so I've got two tattoos uh, for anybody watching on YouTube. One on my left arm, which is my... Um, angel it fights my demons for me and then on my right arm i've got some crosses and some scripture which is matthew 23 12 which says uh he who praises himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be praised it's just a reminder for me not to allow my confidence to turn to cockiness i love that okay um all right so tell me when when did the speaking start like uh, 2017 so i um when i submitted the uh manuscript for the first book um, I knew I wanted to do something a little bit more and I wanted mm -hmm. to share my story. Um, so I went into a local high school and I shared my story for the first time and the response and the feedback I got um, gave me this natural high. And I knew when I walked out of there that I wanted to do it again, you know, somehow, some way, somewhere. Um, so I started doing a little bit of research and I realized that there's actually a business behind speaking. I had no idea. So, uh, you know, I started, uh, you know, looking for some coaches, reading some books, listening to some podcasts. I built the website. I started speaking anywhere, anytime to anyone so I can get some practice in. Uh, and now here we are five, five years later. Um, I'm speaking nationwide. I'm coming up on reaching 100,000 students. I've spoken in some of the biggest schools, some of the smallest schools, some of the richest districts, some of the poorest districts. And I can tell you they're all struggling with the same problem. Students that don't know how to manage their depression, anxiety, and they're experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Um, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't discriminate from Yale to jail, from Park Avenue to Park Bench, from the richest community to the poorest community. It does not matter. It is in your backyard. And whether it's me or somebody else, speakers that come in allow students to relate to a human being that is not a counselor, that's not an authority figure in a manner and a fashion that they can see a little bit of themselves and hopefully see some hope and, you know, see that there is a different way to live their life than what it is that they're doing right now. And, you know, I can't be all things to all people. When I go to a school and I speak to a thousand kids, there's going to be some kids there that don't pick up what I'm putting down. That's okay. I hope they relate to the next speaker. So, so let me ask you it, with you finding this way of being able to write your feelings down and your story down and then actually share it, do you think that helps with your recovery too? It's huge. And that's why COVID was so hard on me because it took that piece of my recovery away from me mm -hmm. because there was no, there was no travel, there was no schools, there was no orient, uh, events, conferences, uh, platforms to speak from. So yes, going out and doing this, helping other people helps me. Because I can guarantee you when I step off of the, off of the stage and I, you know, did something to help a, a young kid change their life and change their mindset, I'm not going to go hit up the dope man or the ABC store like that. Mm -hmm. I can guarantee it. So, so do you think also that maybe if during recovery, somebody found something that they actually just loved to do, that that would be something that they should go to when they, besides 
calling a, spons a sponsor, you know, or going to a meeting or whatever it is that they do, but maybe find something that they're really interested in. Like maybe, maybe they play an instrument. Absolutely. Or having a passion about something other, having something to look forward to, whether it's um, playing an instrument, playing a sport, having uh, being uh, involved in art, doing a cooking class, pottery, riding horses, going rock climbing, playing tennis, cycling, going to the, having something to look forward to on a daily basis is super, super important to take that personal time to do something outside of family life, work, school, thinking about finances and, you know, all that stuff. Right. Um, and it also keeps you excited trying to create more moments like that. Right. Okay. So when you speak, do you, you do you just speak on addiction period or no. do you break it down? No, I don't really talk about addiction. Um, no. I talk about prevention um, because okay. but when I, when I step into, when I step into a high school auditorium, there's going to be some kids that might be on the brink or already addicted to, but we're mm -hmm. talking about prevention. I'm not talking about 12 steps when I'm in uh, a school auditorium. I'm talking about all the other things that lead up to the addiction. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about anxiety. I'm talking about self-harm. I'm talking about that lack of self-worth. I'm talking about the fact that sometimes we feel we don't fit in. I'm talking about comparing our insides to other people's outsides. I'm talking about all the things the society tells us that we're supposed to be that we always feel that we're not. Um, I'm basically talking about all the things that I would probably get kicked out of an AA meeting for talking about. Um, right. Because in AA, you're supposed to be there to talk about recovery and the solution, sure. which is awesome and great. But like I said, when I step foot in an auditorium in a school, they're not in recovery yet. So that's not what I'm talking about. I just want you to know that I think it's awesome that, and, and I don't know how often that goes. I know our high school didn't have anything like that, but that they're they're allowing that and setting, you know, you're setting those up, aren't you? Or do people call you? Both. Uh, so oh. basically my, uh, my best marketing is a good talk. So usually if I go to a school and I deliver an awesome presentation, there's a good chance that somebody on that administration team is going to tell a neighboring school that neighboring school will then reach out to me. Um, so that's, that's how I get a majority of my speaking events is usually through word of mouth. And this is just an awesome thing that, that you are doing, especially if it's, you know, well, it is, like you said, like you're going in and you're talking about prevention. And hopefully that puts a little bit of scare into them, too. I, I wish they could hear the rest of the story. And they probably, kids nowadays just don't read. But I'm hoping to push that book into high schoolers that will maybe read because I don't think it's a typical book that's boring at all. Well, thank no. you. And now that the book's available, the last couple of schools that I've uh, went to, I've given them a couple of copies to put in a school library. So yeah, um, you know, the schools that's that I'm traveling point. to do have access to it. But the other great thing is students nowadays, you're right. A lot of them might not be into reading. There's some that are, but the ones that aren't can listen to me on a podcast. Yeah. Right. So that's another so, option. I watch the YouTube videos of, of me speaking. Uh, I mean, I'm on, I'm actually pretty active on TikTok, and that's a lot of where my audience is. So I make positive TikToks for kids to listen to. You know, so somebody can catch. Do you catch have a certain? Do you go live on TikTok? I I typically don't do lives um, just because I don't have the time right now with three right. kids and work and travel and stuff like that. Um, so I just I make my content, I put it out, and then I will respond and answer DMs and stuff like that. Right now, I just don't have the time for live. Okay. So um, why don't we wrap it up and just give, let's give out some information where people can reach you if there's high schools or 
even, do you ever speak at colleges? Yeah, I'm actually going to Temple University in Philadelphia in two days. So okay. um, I so, anywhere I'm invited. So I speak to middle school, high school, college, nonprofits, law enforcement, uh, healthcare workers, uh, community events that we're just trying to talk about, mental health awareness and uh, substance use prevention. I'll speak anywhere I'm invited. Okay, so I'll go ahead and put in the comments um, all the information that you gave me so they know how to contact you. Um, people that are listening right now, are you able to respond if somebody just DM'd you and said, hey, I'm having a problem, can you talk to me, or do you send them somewhere? Are you? So I, I answer every DM that comes through. I am not a licensed professional counselor, so right. I'm happy to talk and answer general questions or just listen if somebody needs somebody to vent to. But if you start talking to me about something that's outside of the scope of my expertise or you're talking about hurting yourself or somebody else, I am going to escalate that to somebody above and beyond myself. As you uh, should. I answer every single DM that comes through. People could look me up. It's samanthonyspeaks.com. Um, you can also hit up justdontdie.org. Um, so those are two places I could be reached and all my social media tags are on both of those websites. Okay. And then I have the rest of where you can, you know, well, I think on your website, you also have the link. All my social media links are at the bottom of my website. So, so I will just let um, everybody else know to go into those links. And I think that would probably be the easiest way. Yeah, I appreciate that. Whether it be a school or a person or whatever it is. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad that we finally got to do this. Is there anything else that you want to add? Did you do you have a a quote that you actually have that you try to remember just to help you out? Um, so I have I mean, I have a list of what I refer to as mental fitness tips. I'm actually in the process of writing a new book and it's going to be a 52 week mental fitness journal oh, with a fantastic. fitness tip that the reader can work on every week. So every week you get a new mental fitness tip and that is your focal point for the week versus something new every day, which could be a little bit overwhelming. Um, but if I could just leave everybody with one piece of advice, I would say, learn to accept help when it's offered to you. Learn to ask for help when you need it and learn to recognize when somebody else is in need of help and make sure that you offer it. Great. That's, that's a great ending. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man and um, we will see you in the future and hopefully you're going to get a whole lot of more bookings. And I just want to say Thank you so much for helping so many people. Thank you. It's, uh, it helps me uh, a lot more sometimes. So it's uh, selfishly selfish what I do for a living. And I absolutely love it. Thank and you. that's a good thing. All right. Have a good day, everybody. You too. Everybody. I decided back in March of 2020 
when our city had closed down all of our businesses for the pandemic, that I had to do something to take up some of my time that I would have been working. And so I did two things. I started a TikTok and that was kind of like for fun and I did different dances with friends and my son and all by myself and then I started watching TikTok lives and pretty soon I had enough followers where I started going live myself and helping people to grow. Then I decided later on that I wanted to do podcasts. And in doing podcasts, I wanted to help people in their life struggles. Because during that time, all of us all over the world were going through some major struggles. So that was the beginning of my podcast. And since then... I have covered topics with sex addicts, drug addicts, alcoholics, um, people that don't know where they're at in their life, how to get better self-esteem, um, self-help people, all kinds of different topics. Everything, though, that could help somebody along the way. So thank you for listening and for sharing. And if you don't know how to share our podcast, if you use Spotify, which is one of the most popular platforms, just go to Life Struggles. So type in Life Struggles. And if there's more than one, you can put by Christy Collier. And then once you click on that, if you go to the very top of my introduction, you can go to the three arrows and hit follow. Or there could be a button that just says follow, and you can hit that so you're following me. And then there's a little bell and you'll want to click on that bell so that you'll get notified every time we publish a podcast and then once you start watching a podcast you'll always want to go through and at the very bottom of it it'll have a list and it'll say like add to your playlist and if you keep scrolling it'll go to share and you can share that either by um, Instagram or Snapchat or somebody personally to their message. And then also to Instagram, if you have an Instagram account. So we would appreciate you doing that for us. Give us a star rating too, hopefully a five star. But you can do that also at the top. So, if you have any other questions, please feel free to email me at strugglesarehard.com. No, struggles are 
hard at gmail.com. And that's part of life struggles. Hi, this is Christy from Life Struggles. I am your host, and my sometimes co-host is Melinda. However, Melinda has been out for a while, so I'm going at this alone with a guest speaker until she can return. Just a little bit about our podcast. We started out that we wanted to help women look and feel better. And the more we started talking to people that were wanting to feel better, the more struggles we saw with addictions and weight problems and depression and abuse and narcissistic behaviors. And so we decided that it wasn't just women that were experiencing these life struggles, but it was also men. And so we are proud to say that now all of our podcasts are with men and women who have life struggles. I hope that you will enjoy our content. You can help our podcast by giving it a rating, by following us on Spotify and Apple Podcast and Google Podcast and iHeartRadio and CastBox and whatever other platform you might use. Without further ado, here is my next guest.